Welcome to the Coach Fury Podcast. This is where fitness and geekdom collide. It's time to live long, be strong, and die mighty. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 72 of the podcast. Uh, Truth be told, these intros are my least favorite part of the podcast. It stresses me out. It's easy to talk to people um, during the conversation and then put them in. But the, the part where I'm talking about myself is the roughest. And today's intro is going to be the roughest. Um, yesterday, I got home from teaching in Boston. Thank you very much, uh, Jenna and Dave at Milestone Fitness. Went and saw a movie with Kim and Jen B. And on the way out, I got a text from Michael Keeler and found out that uh, my friend, uh, former teammate and uh, brother from Mark Fisher Fitness, was killed in a car accident the other night. And... Landon, and that's Landon Jones, and in typical Landon style, he was helping somebody, a car was broke down on the side of the road, he pulled over, he actually took the gentleman to get gas, it turns out it wasn't gas, and as they were waiting, um, or planning to call AAA, another car hit Landon's car, which sent them uh, over a barrier, falling in, in, into an avenue beneath them, and then getting hit. And as I try to wrap my head around this, and as I try to put this to words, um, uh, it totally makes sense that Landon was helping somebody. Uh, I mean, it's just the person he was. And uh, Landon and I weren't super close. I haven't seen him in a while or spoken to him in a while. Um but uh, my first two years at MFF, I did a lot of morning shifts, and Landon was probably, him and Liz Messina and Stacy Jackson, probably who I worked with the most. And being new to the MFF environment, Landon just really exemplified what made them special. I never met anybody with his personality. Uh, the, people say like bright and glowy, but like literally the brightness he brought into a room. And uh, he was training for his strong first level one he was going to the second dome cert at the time and uh, i just remember the dedication he put into that but the thing i remember most is just when we'd be joking around with the ninjas in the dragon's lair and he would just go into some amazingly beautiful gazelle-like dance move like i've just never seen somebody move like that and uh landon you're gonna be missed man um if you guys uh, are connected to anybody at MFF you'll, or the Ninja Army, you'll see a slew of really beautiful posts. Um, so my heart goes out to Schwa and Landon's family and, and the MFF extended family. Um, we lost a great one. The timing of this, though, I guess works in some ways in a weird way with the guests today because they are other MFF brothers, and that's uh, Brian Patrick Murphy, a.k.a. BPM, and Michael Littig. Uh, he who, who was the Jesus of Unicorpia, and uh, it was really good getting to catch up with those guys in a way that I was hoping to be able to do on the show at Landon one day. And um, it's a great episode, and I think you're going to get a sense of the family and the connection, um, which might help. I don't know. You don't need to validate my hurt right now, but understand even when we don't see each other the 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 thing that unites the mff team is way deeper than silly videos and social marketing and social media and and funny outfits um we you know there's just like a deeper bond there um so i don't want that to take away from this episode if anything let it bolster 
And uh, take a moment, hang, uh, hug your friends, and, and, and tell people you love them more. And I guess that's one of the big lessons I've learned uh, at Mark Fisher Fitness, uh, to not be shy about that shit. And uh, Landon, I love you and I'll miss you. Um, folks, I'm not going to talk about courses. This, is, uh, this episode is for Landon. And with that, Brian Patrick Murphy and Michael Littig, it's a very MFF episode. Um, as we also discussed their new venture, uh, the Zuckerberg Institute. So, um, yeah. Love you, Landon. Welcome to a special episode. This is, <laughs> this is pretty amazing. Uh, I almost feel weird that this is a podcast and not just us hanging out, but hell, um, let, let's record it for posterity. Gentlemen, introduce yourselves. Uh, my name is Michael Liddick. And I'm Brian Patrick Murphy. And together you are... We are the Zuckerberg Institute. <laughs> I was like, the dynamic duo. <laughs> this could go a lot of ways very quickly. Yeah, that's, what, that's, what, that's the whole point of the show. The whole point of the show. So, uh, listeners, look, you know uh, how much affection I have for my time at Mark Fisher Fitness. And, and Michael and BPM uh, are, are legends of Mark Fisher Fitness. Uh, BPM, uh, Brian, OG legend, which we'll talk about to some degree. And Michael... Uh, I don't want to sound this disrespectful to any of the newer staff, but I, I would say the the last hire on my watch that I would consider part of, like I know even I was an OG status in any way, but I feel like you were the last person that came on before the tier program, and I think that was uh, like sort of the last true unifying movement moment before a lot of people started, including myself, started expanding off and, and doing our own things. So let's, let's talk about... Um, I don't want to go into history uh, uh, of, of your environment uh, or your involvement, environment, involvement with uh, MFF, Brian, but because I know that's been discussed and the story is awesome, but <laughs> go listen to like a Larrabee podcast or something, you know, uh, where we've already gone that. But I wanted to discuss what feelings you might have been feeling about this transition uh, of splintering off, because I'll be honest, personally, uh, of the two, Michael, I, I knew you were going to grow into something else because you already had other stuff going on. Um, but but from uh, even when I was viewing leaving, you were one of the people I was like, I don't know if I like. He's not going anywhere. Like, am I fucking stupid for <laughs> thinking about leaving and doing this thing? Um, but but what was going on in terms yeah. of leading to this involvement? And and from that, Michael, after he stops rambling at some point, uh, what is the new company? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. By the way. I want to reiterate that this is the absolute best that we're sitting in an office recording a podcast with Fury. I I can speak for Michael and I say we've both been so jacked up for this, and I know you have too. So um, this is a mutual admiration society in this room right now. Um, I actually think I can answer this pretty succinctly, which is new for me. And um, so I obviously am one of the co-founders of MFF, and I love that place as all of us do, and, and it taught me so many things. But I think the most important thing when I started thinking about leaving, and I think a lot of people probably did think or probably still do think I'm nuts for leaving such a cushy job in so many ways, a place where um, I could basically do whatever I wanted. Um, I was respected so much there. I really had confidence in what I did there. I knew my opinion counted there. Like All these things that make you really valued and valuable at a, at a place of work, I definitely felt those things. So I have nothing but gratitude and uh, respect for MFF. But... I think what MFF really taught me, and perhaps it's the same for you guys and you want to touch on it as well, is this spirit of always wanting to challenge yourself to get better, right? And I think if you look at who we truly are and those of us that have moved on to other things, like obviously the three of us in this room have, 
I, in the last couple of years, I bought a house. I, you know, obviously got married. I had a child. These are huge moments in my life. I'll speak specifically that really changed my life. And they really ask you to start, they challenge you to ask bigger questions of yourself. And so I started looking at my time at MFF and ultimately I realized that I value leadership. And Michael and I had started a company before called Congregation Coaching. We don't have to talk about that right now, but ultimately we were running group coaching programs, not physical coaching, but more transformational programs for people that felt really stuck in their lives and they wanted to be better leaders in their own lives. Awesome. So then I started to say, wow, people are really connecting to this. How can I play on a bigger level? And then what Michael will talk about in a, in a moment is we were doing well with that and that had become the second job and I was still very committed to MFF and we were really doing well there and I had a lot of responsibilities at MFF. But ultimately there was a part of me that was like, um, now there's anything wrong with it, but I don't, I'm putting this in quotes, I don't just want to be a fitness coach for the rest of my life. Now the people, you know, like Dan John or somebody or maybe even you, Fury, who are like, I do this and this is my real passion in life. Like I, those are the people that should be doing that. Yeah. And there was something about me that was saying, that's not what I want to be doing. So I don't feel right doing it as my career forever. I'll say from the whole time, whenever we had the in-services, you'd be the first one to be like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing here, but this is what I think. What are you guys, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? And I think that's, I think that's a, a, a great distinction. Before we get into the new company, what was your thought process as this? And, and we can talk about congregation coaching yeah. as well. That's still up and running. Yeah. Kind of. Kind of, yeah, sort of, yeah. maybe. Maybe we won't talk about it, folks. <laughs> but what was your, your thought, thought process going through? Yeah, um, to me, Mark Fisher Fitness is one of the most incredible places on the planet. Uh, and I'm someone who has actually been around the planet and um, met multiple communities. And it was a place, to me, as an incubator of leadership. It was a place where if the mission of MFF is to unlock and amplify each human's inherent power to live their best life, you cannot help but be changed when you go there and work there amongst, as you said, I was, I felt very fortunate to be amongst like the OG of like the, the original mission of like this uh, circus or rocket ship that Mark often calls it. And so I think it's interesting for me because part of it was the origin story of how Brian and I started working together is when I look on my time in MFF, I can really see a chapter of my life, which is I wanted to work in community more um, relationally and, and actually sit down and put roots into a community. Um, and I wanted to uh, also repair my life. So partly is that my mom, when I came to MFF, got sick, ultimately ended up passing. Um, and when she did, I turned to the people around me to help bring me up. And particularly because I have a background in ritual, um, where uh, I studied ritual for about 10 years uh, globally, is that I turned to ritual in that process. And that's how Brian and I actually began the company, uh, Congregation Coaching, that ultimately began um, Zuckerberg Institute. Uh, and that was, I don't know if you were around for that. I think you were, Fury, where we would like turn off the lights. We would turn the lights red and Matt would be with us. We would play Braveheart. We would drink like uh, pink uh, creatine as blood. We would like set our intention. We would. Uh, At the um, end of our workouts, so we talk about what we're grateful for. Yeah. And we committed to that four days a week. And we started to notice that when we started to commit to that type of ritualized showing up for ourselves, our lives started to change. And then we started to replicate that into a, a coaching program. Then lo and behold, um, 
Zuckerberg Institute came along. So I think Brian can talk. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pin it to Brian because it actually helps us get to this moment where we are now. Well, as I say, I missed that, that, that ritual part is that's around Bowery time. So that's oh, a, that's right. pretty much when yeah. I had so sort of, right, yeah. So so uh, listeners, in, in our time together, Brian and I taught fairly regularly together, mm-hmm. but it was always like a bit of a treat. Uh, Michael and I not so often, just because of the way the schedule worked when he came on. And then I went over to Bowery as part of the launch team and didn't really get to see anybody other than mm-hmm. um, the, in, the 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 team meetings. And I, I saw that bond starting to form. Pally would uh, would, mm-hmm. would show up for yeah. some of those. Um, and, and David, that was again the sort of the birth of the, the tier movement was right. uh, tier program was the movement tier movement <laughs> tier program was happening trainer in residence program was happening, and I feel in a, in a weird way I went off and in my own battle zone because you know we all knew that Bowery was going to be a struggle right but it's funny I was I was trying to reflect about like you know the memories of us together and stuff and I I, I don't think I realized how impactful that struggle from the Bowery thing in terms of just conditions right yeah. so um listeners if, if you listen to the amanda wheeler episode going way back right when we opened bowery we didn't have bathrooms we had no heat yep. it was november december january uh, it was like january to february we finally got like industrial industrial heaters so it was brutal we were going to the local uh coffee shop to use the bathroom and we were still training people mm-hmm. right so uh, people would come in and there'd be tarps and noise and mm-hmm. drilling and paint and dust and I would never replace that. I'm so proud. Like, I just taught Original Strength, a course there on Sunday, last Sunday. And it was amazing. It always feels good to be home and know that, like, literally, like, a little bit of blood, sweat, and tears is in that place. But it was also, like, you know, an awareness of how is this impacting my life? How is this impacting training? Not just the ninjas, but also myself. Mm-hmm. Where do I see myself going? And part of me wanting to be a part of Bowery was like, I was already starting to have some of those questions at Hell's Kitchen. Yeah. Um, so for me on the growth aspect, I, I agree. It's this moment, it's this amazing chapter where I feel if you embrace it, and there is a moment where I think you do have to, I know for me, I had to embrace it. Mm-hmm. I've talked about this, but the first time I had a team meeting with you, with everybody, I was like, are these people fucking for real? <laughs> you know, like I was literally, it's not even a joke though, because we've, we, you know, I've had ninjas. Ninjas will come in the first month or something, and eventually they'll just be like, everybody really is this nice, right? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and I'll, I'll talk about, you know, uh, having this meeting and like, you know, people are rubbing each other's shoulders and everyone's like, I love you and hugging and, and, and we're just talking fitness. It's not even like, you know, oh, it's just part of the day. And I was like, I've never been around that. Um, and then you realize it's sincere and genuine. So when people are talking, you don't walk into a normal gym and hear about ritual. You don't talk about, <laughs> you know, you have Matt Wilson there and talk about really studying play. Right now, you'll probably go to a gym and you'll hear about people, uh, no offense folks, copying what Mark has established, what the team has established, um, yeah. as opposed to actually... Uh, exploring it for the sake of the ninja and not as a marketing technique, right? Like, mm-hmm. I think that's safe to say. Yeah, yeah. So um, I think both of those, and, and for my journey, I think, you know, that time led us to make these switch, to be bold enough, to be brave enough to make those those changes. And clearly when I heard the announcement about what you guys were doing, I was like, that makes total sense for these two people, <laughs> um, especially together. Like, I'm really stoked that you guys left, you know, did it together. But it was like, holy shit, like, for me, when I went back to pitch in part-time last year, you know, 
I felt the loss of Matt Wilson greatly. Yeah. You know, um, and again, it's not to it's not at the by diminishing anybody else no, there. No, no. But Matt is just somebody like, you know, look, he's married me twice um, to the same woman, folks. <laughs> <laughs> and to hear of both of you leaving, but especially an, a founding member, I was yeah. like, oh, that's going to hit, you know, kind of yeah. hard. The reality is, though, that place has to evolve anyway. That's like, right. that's all part of it. And I think, if anything, a lot of the training staff, the struggles that we've had, the frustrations we might have felt, is because there's a lack of, I don't know, I don't want, again, bravery to go and just face that realization that I may have outgrown this place. Right. Does that make sense? Oh. So I was yeah. really happy, um, not like, ha, they got out too, but like that this is what you were doing and that you were doing it together. Because, uh, you know, the place is amazing and it is so special. And I know when you're leaving, you're kind of like, I know for me, you guys had something more solid set up. I kind of went rogue into the wilderness, like John Rambo just walking to go visit (laughs) friends to train, basically. Um, But it is like, am I making a horrible decision by leaving? Right. You know, because it's like, where are you going to find that? But you do. But it's that fear, right? Yeah. I also think, sorry to interrupt, is that the calling of a coach. Right. I'll never forget your email when you announced that you were leaving. You said, I was on a walk with Ben. And, uh, I didn't, I I saw that he was growing up too fast. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, and I think the call of a coach is to really, uh, own your words and practice what you preach. And I think that MFF at its best is a place that really instills that in you. I know that Brian and I both share that in our own practice is that whatever we ask of you, we're going to do it alongside of you. So what I found so inspiring and actually, uh, something that was a great catalyst for me to constantly go, I am going to leave this place one day is because deep in my heart, I knew that there was an unknown or um, chaos that I would face ahead that would challenge me even more so than this place. So that's where um, this company came about. So Brian, talk about that. Yeah. I love everything that you're talking about and we could have that conversation. Um, You know, what I hear Fury is, Courage. It took you. It took a lot of uh, courage for you to step away. And I think the easiest and smart choice would have been for all of us to stay with what we're doing. But you're you're a father of of kids, and you have a son, and I have a son now. And I think to myself when I was making this decision, I think when my son is 15 and really cognitively understands his father and starts to look to his father during a really tough adolescent time in your life, which your son is very close to now. My daughter's kind of in. Yeah, and your daughter's... She's going to be 12 this year. Yeah, and and you know, you want to be able to lead them and be able to say, hey, it, it makes sense, kiddo. Like, it's a real struggle. And sometimes you have to do, make really tough choices you know and here's how your dad handled it or whatever it is right lead by example um and so it's also i'm also completely aware that i'm coming from an ultimate place of privilege here a place of privilege of having a great job and then another opportunity comes along so uh it's a totally open knowledge that the amazing randy zuckerberg who's here she is, this New York Times bestselling author. She has a serious XM show that's massively successful that's uh, sponsored by the Wharton School of Business, and she founded um, Facebook Live. I mean, that's it's amazing. She worked for Facebook as one of the first people out there for many years, and wow. she's just this awesome leader, awesome entrepreneur, invests in a ton, a ton of successful companies, owns Zuckerberg Media, these amazing things. And um, I created a relationship with her for years training her at MFF and not ever, 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 ever saying anything like, help me here. 
give me a job or never. It was never that ever. Not once. She came in and got her work done and it was a joy to train. Matter of fact, Michael had no idea who she was when he trained her. Anyway, make a really long story short, a couple of years later, she said to me, wow, hey, um, I just want you to know that like I quickly t uh, spoke with Michael about it when I, he trained me yesterday or whatever, but like I've been following all the work that you guys are doing with congregation coaching and I think it's really awesome and you guys don't have to ever call me or ever talk to me if you don't want to, but I, I would be so happy to give you some advice sometime or to like get on a call with you sometime. And I was like, oh my God, that's so nice. Thank you so much. Like, we should take you up on that. And of course, I immediately call Michael. I'm like, oh my God, Randy Zuckerberg wants to help us out. But I go, we can't afford her. We can't afford to pay her to console with us. Right. And so, of course, I call her and I'm like, hey, we would love to do this. But I was like, I have to be fully honest with you. Like, I can't afford to pay you. And she's like, absolutely not. No, 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 no. So anyway, we get on a call with her and 10 minutes in, she's like, okay, this is totally selfish. Here's a problem that I see, and Michael can talk about this in a minute. Here's a problem I see when I, I go speak every single week all around the world. They pay me a ton of money to do these hour and a half long speeches. Um, and here's some problems that I see. And I see you guys are these genuine, awesome guys. And um, let's start a business together. Wow. And, and then when Randy Zuckerberg says, let's start a business together, you don't just go, Nah, I don't want let to consider me, that. Let me think about that. <laughs> I mean, Michael, is that a pretty fair representation? That's fair, yes. Yeah. I mean, you know, basically the problem she saw, and I imagine anyone in the coaching sphere sees, is that people uh, are a lot of snake oil people there that promise oh. transformation, don't deliver on it, and uh, particularly in Randy's, that the people she was encountering were just, she, she would get upset because it was this um, this attitude of like, people spending thousands upon yeah. thousands of dollars to get some accreditation or to get some type of transformation and it's never delivering. And so she said, listen, both of you are really genuine. And th I think this, this world needs more genuine people in that sphere. And number two is that what she noticed particularly, and you understand this too, Fury, is that entrepreneurship is a lonely road, right? I think all fitness people, um, Hell coaches yeah. on their own, they're, they're lonely, right? Because they, that's why, you know, amazing, uh, groups like strength faction, Todd and Chris, you know, and, uh, you know, business for unicorns. The reason they exist is because they're solving for fitness entrepreneurs, this sense of being like, I'm out in the dark here. How do I do this now on a greater global level? It's a, it's one in three entrepreneurs face depression. And so Randy, for someone who's helped build one of the greatest networks, uh, probably of, uh, of our culture uh, wanted to start to build that for entrepreneurs. And so we started basically uh, started uh, creating some products that we tested in the market for about six months. And then once we felt like, okay, this could actually go somewhere. We like literally sat at a dinner table and like high fived each other and said, let's try this for a year. And if it, after a year, if we like, it doesn't work, we'll high five each other and we'll still be friends. Um, and so we were like, let's do it. Let's jump. Because we felt like we had to burn the boats if we were going to really go in all in on this. And we couldn't, we would, Brian and I would have done, um, we would have busted our ass, never had a day off. And we would have done like a good side hustle. It's, it, I think that's the thing, you know, you mentioned like courage and stuff. It's like this idea too, though, of calculated risk. I think it also aligns with calculated crazy. Like you kind of have to, <laughs> you have to find this, this line of, and I realize that if I look at my history of, of for myself, uh, I'm not the bravest person, but I guess I can be 
rationally irrational and make those bold changes. I don't like feeling pegged in an unhappy spot. And not that I was unhappy in MFF. I was unhappy um, with how all of these blessings were affecting my family life and my own physical well-being. Because right. it's like, you know, I had the one of the best gyms, if not the best gym in the world. I was we're teaching for these groups that I loved. Um, but I was not seeing my wife and kids. And every time I made an adjustment to try to have more time there, it impacted somebody. So if I had to fix my schedule for Bowery so I could be with the kids, it had a negative impact on Ting and Wheels. Right. They were so it's just like, you know, like the, the problem is my schedule. The only person that can control that is me. Mm. Um, and yet again, though, like my business model has changed, like, you know, probably significantly four times in the year and a half since I left. Uh, almost, shit almost two years which is crazy uh because you keep adapting to try to figure well out. it's like it's it's also like a, again like so when i left i wanted to do mostly online training a handful of one-on-one -on -one sessions and then the workshops mm -hmm. and then i realized um uh, i was getting enough online clients i didn't love online training a yeah. ton of people uh i miss being with people and having that interaction so i capped that and then i was doing mostly personal training and then that had me bouncing around the city and that is trainer death, you know, because again, uh, listeners, like the average li career life of a trainer is like two years. Um, you know, in May, it'll be nine years for me. Sorry, eight years for me. Right. So I, I don't want to fall to that. And but last year was definitely my roughest, roughest year about hanging into the hanging in with this. Um, so then I want to be with people and then I'm like, well. Uh, I've never tried to like just steal people like you know like I never took a bunch of people from MFF and was like hey I'm training here come follow me I never did that to five points a couple of people followed because like they're sure. friends and close and that's what they want to do um, so I had to rebuild and I'm like I miss teaching classes and maybe that'll lead and then inevitably that led to teaching classes from home and now I'm just building up this super uh, small group the Fury Crew which has been named that for fuck since the beginning uh, but what's really rad about it is when they interact, I can see the sparks of my own ninja army. Mm -hmm. Like, like these people would not have met otherwise, but they super get along, mm -hmm. right, in their own weird ways. And that's really cool. But, like, it was calculated. But uh, I think part of the thing with entrepreneurs is, like, you get locked into something and it's like, it has to be this, you know, but you have to be able to adapt. Mm -hmm. Um, do you yeah. ever read the Anthony Bourdain's? I think it's Kitchen Confidential. No. When he talks about, that. he talks about how restaurants fail. The good restaurateurs know when it's not working and they close because they have to adapt to this is failing versus like destroying their lives in the process of the bankruptcy and just the debt. And instead of worrying about the bankruptcy and the debt, like I've just modified my business plan. Like this isn't working. How do I patch it? Mm -hmm. What brings me joy? And I'm in a sweet spot right now, but it's been hard getting new members because it's like, hey, come up to my living room. <laughs> I promise it's not a murder room at all. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah, but what I love about that is that really goes to, I don't know if you uh, follow Seth Godin. Yeah, well, yeah. Right? Talking about the marketing guru of our time. And what I really love about what you're doing, Fury, and Michael, and I, I think it's where I'll say it here and for everybody to hear is that's what we're constantly thinking about is what is the most specific niche or client you're speaking to and much like I know I can speak with this on absolute authority at the beginning of Mark Fisher Fitness and the advice that it sounds like you're already giving yourself and your understanding is what we did great is if you were a very certain person you knew that the only possible gym you could ever go to if you were to ever go to one was Mark Fisher Fitness yeah. that was eight you know eight years ago and so we so spoke to that so directly 
right? And so if you can speak to five people, but those five people become obsessed with you and they will only ever train with you, that is going to be way more valuable than trying to speak to 100,000 people who maybe none of them are ever really going to get what you're trying to do. But if you continually build this five or six people and, and you pick up one person every four months, dude, you, that you've all of a sudden got the greatest gym on earth. You know, and, like, and, and you're able to have that impact with the that's people right. too. I think that's you know with, with the, you know the negative side of, of social media um, in in, re, in regards to fitness is there's this thing about like trying to acquire likes and followers that don't necessarily have any sort of real return of investment on right. the, on the human connection that you have there, and that's something that I you know we were talking before the start of this um, that. I felt a lot of pressure over the years, and again, I you know maybe it was put on me a little bit because of the groups that I teach for and trying to fill workshops. But I over uh, emotionalized, internalized, mm. emotionalized—is that a word? Sure. Mm. Internalized that to a level that it was stressing me out, and I could definitely see where it's had a negative impact. And now I've been like, now that I have this plan, it's like you know uh, we keep we've said this on the show a few times. Like I don't want to be the biggest gym. I don't need to have a storefront. Uh, I want to be like the local gym that has the best bacon, egg, and cheese sandwich. They don't advertise to go get a bacon, egg, and cheese at your local bodega that you know everyone in the neighborhood knows. It's like, that's what I want to be. And it's in the living room now. And for the first time, actually, since MFF, um, I want to open doors at some point. Um, clearly, I have some debt to get you know cleared away, and I grow my membership so that when I do... It's a calculated risk with calculated crazy as opposed mm -hmm. to just bad shit. I have two clients and open a door. Um, but that's been the thing. But I think uh, uh, one of the things I thought about in coming in here is Susan Avery, Super Ninja, Susan Avery wrote a really wonderful post when you guys announced you were leaving mm -hmm. about how so many great people <laughs> and me, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, have grown and, and moved on. So Steph Wilberding, who, right. you know, opened a gym in, in L.A. and is now doing her own thing and, and has had a more of her business model while she's out there, but is still, you know, just like, you know, going for it. Um, you guys have gone on, like, uh, people have had those opportunities to spread their wings. Um, East Ace, Aaron, like, oh, yeah. you know, across the board now. And I think that's one of the wonderful things about leadership is, is if you're doing it right as a coach, as a teacher, as a leader, you're grooming future leaders, mm -hmm. not just grooming, grooming servants or followers, mm -hmm. yeah. right? It's like we've always stressed the serious fitness side at MFF, Mark Fisher Fitness, um, so that people could actually go to their own local gym mm -hmm. and do the stuff. They don't necessarily need us. They want right. to be with us. Uh, and that's how I view it. And I don't think there's many places that really foster that and really mean to do that. I think most places have leaders. I'll come from my advertising background. My places wanted well-working followers. Like mm -hmm. they, they wanted people to just do the work, do it well, but they weren't necessarily supporting you to grow out of those roles. Right. Yeah, uh, what I'm hearing from you, and I know from myself, is that basically you're honing your inner compass. And what was so cool listening to you speak, Fury, is like you're – you know, you do these things because you think you have to, and then you come back slowly to what your inner compass, which is like, I really dig group training, right? Right. Yeah. I dig group classes, and I, I think that's why I love fitness, and I've always loved fitness, is this daily practice of getting in touch with that inner voice, and that inner compass is going to guide you to places you never thought possible, if you so choose to accept it. If, if you're on a walk with your son and you go, fuck, my life is not where I want it to be. And even though I'm here in the most incredible place I could ever imagine, I need to shift the boat. And so 
particularly, I know, like, for Brian and I, like, you know, Zuckerberg Institute is, is purely, it's like, as if, like, this company was created for me and Brian, like, in some manifestation, like, it just makes total sense for my life. Um, in the way that we're working globally, we're working with communities, we're, we're teaching people to fail and how to like, how to have daily practice and be held accountable. All these things are literally like the, that's the whole arc of my life. And so if any listener listening out there, I think it's about honing that inner compass and listening to it. Um, on a daily basis, and I think I think you're such a great example of that, Fury. Well, you go. Oh, thank you, man. You you. This is a love fest. Um, we're, <laughs> we're gonna break out the baby oil in a moment. Uh, <laughs> I think, I think that the, the 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 thing it's interesting you said that is the fail part, and right. I think um, a lot of us and a lot of people like you use fitness as a metaphor, but whether it's it's you guys here at the institute or me at Fury Industries as a fitness company. You know, these lines of how we approach human interaction, communication, business, marketing, they're all so similar now, right? Like, there's no more, like, at least the people that are in our spheres of trainers, we're not at, like, a, you know, just trying to sell sessions and count reps. You know, we're, we're really trying to grow our knowledge base um, and make those connections with the people that we train so that we can actually help them because, mm-hmm. you know, you have to be able to listen to people just like you have to be able to listen to coworkers, employees. And entrepreneurs, when you're alone, it, it's it's easy to lose awareness of that because you're kind of in a bubble. Like, I'm at home and there's my dog Ramona and here's, you know, Netflix and I can just binge on this instead of trying to, like, outreach. And I, I think that's uh, the interesting thing now when you talk about failing is there's this feel of fear of failure mm-hmm. in fitness, in business, in life, in relationships. But I know for me, my greatest life moments in a way come from failure oh yeah like it is the greatest teacher um i don't think i'd be teaching for the rkc if i if i passed my rkc two the first time because i failed my press created a program succeeded on the program shared it pavel said write an article and then all of a sudden people knew that i knew how to press that's right right pavel approved it you know and now you're looked at as a pressing expert (laughs) no you are (laughs) seems a weird one no, it's no I have. I have done pressing workshops, but now I certify people. In, like, I literally teach that course I failed in. Right. And that awareness of my name and growth of my name wouldn't have happened there. But also, um, you know, I got the roles from assisting a ton because I just wanted to learn. I wanted, to, you know, people to say, like, hey, okay, this can be better. This is what you're doing good. This is what you need to work on. And that definitely helped me here. And I think that's one of the things that... Um, you know, we could say, like, in the team, the, 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 the team meeting, some people were, like, over the, you know, I know when I left, people were over the forced mandatory weekly team meeting. Mm-hmm. For me, I always got a lot out of it because we covered a lot of stuff. Now, I miss that we didn't always do enough fitness stuff. Sure. But those sales things, those business things, man, yeah. you, that's what makes you through the day now, or me through the day now. That's not normal. That's um, training you for your future. Yeah, why do you think... Why do you think people fear failing so much? Why can't they? Why can't you embrace that you're not perfect out the gate? Oh gosh, Michael knows it. I love talking about this. I actually just wrote those two words: that fear and failure. Yeah, it's hilarious. I don't know if you saw me. Those are the only two notes I've taken in the last thirty-two minutes. And I want to comment on two things. Number one, Randy Zuckerberg often talks about uh, when she goes to speak to these entrepreneurs. She goes, "The goal is to fail fast. So fail fast and fail a lot. It's okay. But the faster you fail at something, you're." The Bourdain thing. That's exactly what he yeah. was saying, right? He's like, oh, this isn't working. Get out, restructure, refigure it out so that you're uh, malleable. You can keep moving, right? Yeah, yeah and she's um, such a pro that she's like nine out of ten 
of business development never works. So we, we Brian and I get excited about something. She's just kind of sitting back and going, yeah, it's probably not going to work out. And that's okay. Right? You have to like train your mindset. Yeah. And she just laughs about it. She's like, oh yeah. She's like, these are great ideas. We'll sit around and we're like all jacked up and uh, the two guys in the room know me so well. I'm a very easy person to get very excitable, very jacked up. I'm like, yeah, we're going to do this and this and this. And it's going to be awesome. We're going to crush it, crush it, crush it. And then Randy's like, yeah, let's go get it. And then afterwards she's like, you know, that's probably going to fail, but that's awesome. <laughs> we'll come up with something else awesome. And I, and I, <laughs> what did she say? There's no failure, only uh, uh, opportunity or something. Yeah, exactly. Right. And Listen, I think it is a human, we know this, I'm not going to get into human psychology, but we, an evolutionary psychology, uh, like some of our former co-workers that we love so much, but um, <laughs> that was for Kyle. Kyle. He's listening. Um, but, um, but we know that that's true evolutionary. Of course we're scared to fail because, you know, we evolved from if you failed, you died, right? Like, yeah, duh, that, that, that is that, true. That's part of it. So we still have that. Now, what I believe, and one of the things that is very important for me to teach, and, and obviously Michael aligns with this, was one of the reasons we formed a company together originally, which is I absolutely do not believe there are people out there that are lacking in fear, or people that lack in fear of failure. I think it's everybody, except for perhaps sociopaths. I do believe yeah. there's probably some sociopaths. I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking about people that are somewhere on the spectrum of, uh, I'm using this in air quotes, normal, you know, yeah. most folks is what I'm trying to say, right? And so I think that everybody's terrified. And even all of the great leaders that I follow, no matter if it's leaders in, in entrepreneurship or military leaders or no matter how badass these people are, boxers, fighters, athletes, whoever, they're scared. And so I think the defining characteristic is to say, what do we choose to do with that fear? How do we choose to act on that fear? And, um, you know, I know that I'm, I'm very outward in social media and out loud. And when I go on podcasts, I talk about taking cold showers. And sure, I could talk about all the physiological benefits of that. And of course, I study Wim Hof and all these things that a lot of people are into now. And I've been doing it for years. But ultimately, I do it because every moment before I step into the cold water, I'm terrified of it. And I do not want to do that. And I do it for myself for the metaphorical impl implications that it has on me to go, if I can face this in some way in this moment, this thing that I hate, this thing that I'm terrified to do, that I know that's going to help me, to quote another one of my uh, heroes, callous my mind, callous my body, to be more adaptable and ready to handle all the other things that I have to do for the rest of my day. Well, I think you're also the person that turned me on to War of Art, the press field. Yes, it was like a massive field. influence on me. And, 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 and that, that feeling of fear is the indicator of that's what you should be doing. Like fear is oh, yeah. is, yes. the, is the the driving your gut instinct towards like your true self, mm -hmm. and that fear of not doing it when people don't do it is that that resistance that's stopping you from your greatest impact on this earth. Now that doesn't always mean like successful companies or successful fitness systems, but that just means like you literally impacted a certain number of people in a way. No yeah. doubt, uh, yeah. and I think that's that's a huge one. I think it's fear. I think everyone should have fear in a way to acknowledge. But it's how you act upon it, right? right. Or don't act upon it probably yeah. is even the, potentially yeah. the more hazardous. And part. to go back to your initial question of like, what, how was it, you know, leaving MFF? I was so excited. Of course I felt fear. Of course, Brian has one of the most anxiety-ridden people I know in my life. <laughs> but he's the person that always takes action. Because if I, if I could, you know, just constantly go back, Brian is, is literally the, the small, minute action in his life is a mindset like callous of the mind, as David Goggins says, of getting prepared for the moment that he's going to jump and leave his company, even when he has a six-month-old child. Mm -hmm. Like, he's, he's basically, you know, he's taking a huge risk. Yeah. But because 
He has a process of which he daily shows up to and a mindset which he daily shows up to. He can weather that storm. He can create order out of that chaos. So to me, it all goes back to what what we what we what we teach, which is daily practice. You know, like what do you, how do you show up on the the smallest minute level? I know for me, I've had to with the randomness of my schedule and now trying to take control of this, uh, just really trying to create a certain set of habits yeah. at certain times of the day, um, so that when the randomness does hit, somebody has to reschedule a session. Uh, podcast is a little bit random. Um, that like it's easier to manage that so my mental energy doesn't go on isn't wasted on certain aspects of the day because they're just habit ritual now they're just part of my process and then this other stuff it's easier to manage because I'm not thinking of like oh my god the whole day is upon me what's going to happen now Mm -hmm. it's just like okay I need to manage these things Um, and it's also I know for me uh, with the nickname fury which was not which was given to me for my uh, ability to rage Uh, not (laughs) a party like actually like in in anger um I internalize a lot. And one of the memories, and I was trying to think of of our time together, is I remember one of my first, maybe month two, maybe like the second session. I I already know where you're going with this. I think it was my second month there, and maybe the (laughs) second time I taught with Brian, and I was still trying to like figure everybody out a little bit. Um, uh, And and there was a a ninja Mm -hmm. who just was so pissy Mm -hmm. and so annoying and kept like, Ask me where is this thing and what do I do and who are you again? Like what's your name? Like literally asking me my name again. I'm like I am the oldest at the time perceived straightest, heavily tattooed, <laughs> only you know married dude with kids or at that point you would I have the you know like you really don't remember the name Fury. And by the way, Fury's underplaying this. I was in there. It was a very uncomfortable feel. It was like it was affecting like semi-private training room. It was literally impacting mm-hmm. everyone in the room. So at MFF, it would be me with three ninjas, and it was Brian with three ninjas, and this one person was pretty toxic, and I was pretty new, and I'm still coming back like from a from coming from a martial arts facility spot <laughs> where, you know, you could tag a little bit of a receipt hitting somebody a little harder on the pads or something, not hurting anybody, but like yeah. you could vent in a different way. Right. And I remember you sort of starting to bitch about it to Brian, and I, I forgot the exact verbiage, but you're like, you know what this day's like, just. Just let it go. It's not you. Yeah. Don't don't internalize it. Don't make it you. And I, that totally changed my perspective. Nobody had ever actually taken the time to say that. Mm. Everyone would be just like, you know, just manage it. It's okay. But like, this is a thing about like making it, seeing it from their point of view. Mm. And you know, I consider myself a you know an educated coach. I was like four year in the bit, four years in the business by that point. And I was like, shit, he's so right. So I remember that. And then later on, like a year later on. That cat became like a class regular and friend. Like he became obsessed fo- with you, looking forward to training with me, and it was like, and, and and likewise, and it was one of those things that really was super eye opening. The other uh, easy sort of thing was like, uh, Brian was the first one who said, just just take the compliment. Like you would compliment me, and I always would like fucking make a negative about myself because I think I'm shy about it, and and I admittedly sometimes think my own self worth is lower. I'm, I've been dealing with that, but. Uh, and you just just take the compliment. It wasn't like in a dicky way at all. It was like super supportive. Um, so I, in terms of you know, Michael mentioned that use the term genuine. And I'm gonna try. This is gonna be a hard fucking DJ transition. This is like you're This is like going from fucking Miles Davis to Slayer right now. But it's uh, the term genuine and authentic. And Matt and I talked about this on the show over two episodes actually. Uh, is so overused right now. Uh-huh. 
Um, I think everybody, especially within the, uh, if we say the MFF outward global sphere of our, you know, sort of extended family of gyms and facilities are all, all pumping this authentic and genuine. Mm -hmm. And let's face it, the, the more you try to push authenticity and, and genuine, it becomes the opposite, mm -hmm. right? It's like, did you ever see that movie Singles, the Cameron Crowe with the grunge music? Yes. When he goes, uh, what's the dude's name? Uh, I forget the actor's name. Campbell Scott goes up to the woman. He's like, hey, I don't have a line. But, and she's like, I think you saying you don't have a line is your line. Yeah. Hmm. Right? And wow. But I will say this from the inside, not to blow smoke up these guys' asses, is like they are truly, you two guys and, and most of that MFF staff, are so unique in personality and character and what you bring to the table. And I want to stress that point that when we talk about these opportunities and, and, and these conversations, that listeners, if you had a chance to spend like a month working with each of these guys, um, I've never met anybody like Brian and I've never met anybody like, like, like Michael and what they bring to the table and how those things fit within MFF. It goes back to that line of like, you know, when people are like, are they really this nice? And even I had to have that moment of like buying it in. And it's not just nice, we all bring a perspective, but Mark and, and Keeler have created this, I'm certainly you're a part of that, uh, and, and Kyle, this space where we can be ourselves. What I wanna turn this into though, is the missing aspect of all this niceness, kindness, and authenticity, and, and, and genuine stuff that I think is being overused, is Mark allowed us to be respectfully combative. Yes. And no I think doubt. that's like a, a thing that's really missed that this idea that we all agreed or got along. And I know I'll, I'll use this as an example. And then you guys can bring up an, an example is like uh, I got to program a lot of the classes. I was the class design manager for like my last year there. And when we would do the classes, people question like, how do we do the move? But also why mm -hmm. and why not this way and that? And you had to be prepared. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like sometimes it was a little minutiae where you're like, okay, like we're never going to coach this to right. this degree because it's just like <laughs> fucking impossible. It's like somehow some, we can take a question so detailed that it goes beyond what you can even do in a personal training session, right, right, never mind right. a class. But the fact that we could have those conversations at the end of the day, no one's mad. You've right. been challenged. Potentially you succeeded. Potentially you like have to rethink something and that's fucking fine. Um, what were some moments like that? Like one apiece for you that way where... You know, that, that sort of like, oh, how did Mark describe it? The tension on the water. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. we're all in the same pool. It's a powerful ocean, right? Yeah. But there's tension on the water. Do you have I any I know moments? I have hundreds of examples, but if Michael has one I first. I can't think. I mean, I, I can just remember tears, but I can't think of a particular Oh, moment. my God. I, I One of my favorite examples is, um, there's so many easy ones to point out. I've had more fights with Kyle. Than almost any oh, other person I witnessed in one my actually. Life. Oh yeah. Well, maybe you'd be better for you to this tell. This was. The story. I'll tell the story and then you can tell another one. Yeah. Uh, By the way, Kyle is one of my best friends in my life. Yeah. I love the man. I would. I would run across America for him. That's how much I love. Yeah, because as I listen to this, I, to echo what you're saying, Fury is like genuine and authentic. Is to me, is not active, right? I I don't know how to be authentic. Do I just sit here and just be and go? No, I'm authentic. Yes, I'm authentic. <laughs> or genuine to like, that's, it feels like I'm putting something on. And I think for me, it always goes back to curiosity to say like, why are you acting that way? Or I'm going to see another perspective and I'm going to listen to you and validate what you're feeling. That's what coaching has taught me is like, mm -hmm. I can validate what you're feeling to be your story. And your story is something I can't control, but I can at least validate and say, well, that makes, you have a good point there. And so um, Brian um, and Kyle were uh, training uh, someone on a TRX and Brian gave uh, them uh, 
a modification to use a TRX uh, assisted squat, right? And Kyle... Wow, you remember this in very oh, serious oh, I remember. <laughs> and then, of great. course, as we all know, Kyle, Kyle comes from a different, uh, a different, we'll call it a different world, and he, he called that a stupid exercise. That, that's a positive, by the way. <laughs> yes, because we all know Kyle really well. For listeners oh. that know, like, Kyle is fucking brilliant, one of the, the most smartest caring, smartest people you're ever going to meet. So um, He's least, perhaps the smartest fitness person I know. Yeah, I mean, you know? We're, we're talking not just on in terms of anatomy and physiological, but also like the, the whole neural component of it. Oh, yeah. So uh, just take that with a grain of salt. We're not trying to cover our asses there. It's just true <laughs> that we have this relationship with Kyle that you guys may not. Oh. But anybody on the MFF team, and if Kyle's listening, like you, you, you know where the love is oh, on that. Beyond. Absolute love. Um, so this, it happened maybe a week before, and so now Kyle was training this person. Well, well, what had happened was Kyle saw me do it and said, that's a stupid exercise to the ninja. Yes. So um, Brian gets very jacked up throughout the whole session. Because I go, the, I go who well, told you? No, yeah, that's right. Yeah. The session ends. Kyle goes off to take a break, and then Brian and I continue to work out on uh, like a trainer workout. And he tells me how upset he is. And the moment Kyle walks in the room, he's like, hey, I have, to, I have a problem with you. I was have a problem with what you said. And Kyle goes up to him, and Kyle's a big dude, and just gently puts his hand on his heart. He's like, what's wrong? <laughs> because there, one of the things that I, I promise you this is true about me is I always say I will not say something behind somebody's back that I won't say to their face. That is a value I do my absolute best to hold dear to me. And so I was bitching to Michael about Kyle. I was like, he did this, he did this. I can't believe he did this. He made me look bad. He did this. And Michael's like, you know what you have to do? And I go, yeah, I'm going to say it to his face. And then right two seconds later, Kyle walked by and he didn't even open the door. I was like, hey, get in here now. <laughs> Kyle could squash me with a finger. And, and he walked in the room. I was like, I can't believe you did this. And he just walked up to me really slowly. You can see it right now. Yeah, I totally. And he just put totally. his hand right on my chest. He's like, hey, man. It's okay, brother. I love you, man. Let's talk about this. And immediately I was like, all right. Hand okay. your balloon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, but it was a beautiful moment because I'm somebody who can get amped up so easily. And he still loved me through that. And then I still said, I don't appreciate what you did. And he got me to calm down to explain to him in a level that he could understand. And he goes, I own that. I apologize for that. And I go, and I'm apo I apologize that I flew off the handle. And we could still totally disagree while saying perhaps there's a better way we could have handled this, both of us. Yeah. Which was exactly what you, you, you speak to there. And, that, and that's the lesson. Is it's not about, by the way, this world that we go, we all have to agree with each other. We all have to agree politically to get along, to live in the same neighborhoods. Oh, we God. all, you must be completely liberal or completely conservative or else you're not liberal or not conservative. That is so ridiculous, I want to vomit. That, right? that, that, that leads to a pretty... Boring, unfunctioning life, by the yes. way. Yes! And, you know, and it's something that I, I, I can say, uh, Brian and I are just, he read, and now I'm reading uh, The Coddling of the American Mind, which jo Jonathan Haidt, which is talking talking about this, like, safe space and trigger, and everyone's so sensitive. And, and to be someone who's been in community uh, since 2015, quite literally in the U.S., I can say that's personally true. There's a sensitivity level that has gone up that has caused us not to have courage enough to really speak what we believe, right? Mm -hmm. So this is where and I then, get fired up. So, yeah. and, and so what I loved about MFF or I loved about creating that type of culture is that we could, 
literally have those type of dialogues. And literally, I remember, go back to the origin story of how Brian and I started Congregation Coaching, now Zuckerberg Institute, people were saying that that was toxic masculinity and we I, I we had a big conversation about it, right? Mm-hmm. People on the team felt like that we were being ex, uh, exclusive instead of inclusive. Um, and we were able to have that conversation even in something that was like, literally I'm doing this because my mother died, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I can see that it could be seen as toxic masculinity, whatever that phrase means to other people, right? I'll also say this. The, the idea of any of, of my friends, the staff at MFF, and we've all been blamed on this because I had uh, people call right. me out on shit about toxic masculinity. It, it's like literally, so literally literally trying to take like a handful of the people really trying to change the world for the better with the greatest of intention and more importantly, the greatest of actual action, yes. right? Like instead of just like, I have great intentions, mm-hmm. we're actually trying to do it session by session, ninja by ninja, and then still getting called out as if we're just like whistling from a construction site at women as they go by or right. something. Um, and I think, you know, it's so funny you mentioned the sensitivity thing because it's something that, um, you know, with my kids and my daughter in particular, but like I struggle with where a lot of the things that I thought were funny and I see now in hindsight, I'm like, holy shit, that, that's pretty yeah. fucked up if you're a girl, yeah. right? Like yeah. my daughter, you know, you look at a lot of movies, like um, it, it, you think of the, who, who I was talking to a friend the other day, think of the movie Revenge of the Nerds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, of course, that's like a pretty It is one of the film. funniest movies I've ever seen, but if you think about it, Panty Raid, mm-hmm. they steal a nude photo mm-hmm. and sell pies of it. Like, if you're a woman, like, that is fucked up. Like, that's yeah. sensitive. That said, like, am I never going to laugh at an airplane movie again? Fuck no. <laughs> like, right. they're hilarious. Right. Right. And, and it has to be allowed this moment of, uh, uh, I don't necessarily believe in microaggressions. Right. I mean, yes, like, uh, words are important and they can hurt. But, like, I also come from that school of thought of, like, if you're making fun of everybody, including yourself, you're, you're kind of laughing at reality to handle reality as opposed to just, like, doom and dread all the time because you can't live in the doom and dread or trigger phase all the time and i'll say this this is a huge one uh one of the things that i've started feeling for me as a negative impact with with some of what we were doing at mff was we were overing over empowering ninjas within the clubhouse that they couldn't handle life outside the clubhouse and to some degree on a couple of occasions like the staff became like the, the whipping post mm-hmm. for that. Like, someone complained that we didn't have enough decorations on Disney Day. It's a free day. Like, it's a silly theme, and yet you're finding a negative in something as, as basic as that. Mm-hmm. I remember I was teaching in the basement clubhouse, the circuit party in the dungeon, and I accidentally kicked uh, the fucking outlet, mm-hmm. and it smoked and sparked out, right? Like, so we had literally, we had like a little mini fire went out real quick. Holy there shit. was smoke and the smell of smoke, but I couldn't play music. Mm-hmm. And... Ninja's like, I can't do class without music. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? We've been strength training you. We've been preparing your mind for all of this. Because, folks, we don't just do the workouts. We do, like, we literally do inspirational um, how to handle life stuff, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Inspirational sounds like it's less than that. You can't really inspire, but you know what I mean. Coaching, like actual, like, psychological coaching stuff. Like, we can get through a class without music, without, you know, it being the end of the world. Like, you just saw a fire. Those types of moments were like, I feel like I'm failing you. Yeah. Like if you if 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 your joy of a double body weight deadlift with inside the dragon layer or uh, Monster Island at MFF, you can't go in and feel confident enough to go train at your blink on an off day. Right. I'm, we're not we're not succeeding. Yeah. Like I want you to have that power to go to any gym. Mm-hmm. Fuck what everybody might look at you or mm-hmm. judge you at first, 
and then go haul that weight that you know you can haul well. Yeah. And I just think sometimes we just created that, and then there's a you know there's a heavy round of, you know, the whole formation of it needing to create the MFF community forum where yeah. it was like wow like a, a couple of voices got real loud, mm -hmm. and a lot of fingers started pointing at a lot of different people, kind of unnecessary. Well, I shouldn't say kind of unnecessarily. Yeah. And that to me was like wow this is. How do we change this? And that's something that I know with the, the Fury crew, like, I'm sometimes I'm just not that nice. Where, yeah. like, if there's a time, it hasn't really come up, but I'll just be very, very blunt about something. Yeah. Without having to over-validate, over-authenticate totally. where it's coming from. Yeah, no, I think, I mean, we could go way down this rabbit hole, but what I love that what you said, and I know this is what I agree on, whatever kind of coaching or program that I'm doing, be it physical or whatever you want to call it, mental, emotional, blah, 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 habit-based, is that the goal is to pre help prepare people for the real world, yeah. like raising kids, right? And so how are you helping prepare people for the real world? Yes, you want to give them a fun experience and a fun environment, and that's like my number one was at MFF, my number one thing. It's like, give them a great experience, give them a great time so they want a, more of it and it's ultimately going to help them. But what you're ultimately doing too is helping prepare them for the real world. And if you can't handle BPM or Michael Lidder or Coach Fury um, at Mark Fisher Fitness, you're going to have a really hard time being anywhere besides very, very, very few blocks of your life at, in New York City or whatever. And, and you know, and then I think that's like, it's on us, right? It's, it's on us to, to do better. Um, and I think about that all, all the time when I'm raising my, my son is like, how can I best prepare him for this world? And, um, I don't have all the answers and I know that I'm going to screw a lot of it up. Um, but I definitely know that the things that help me the most are remembering growing up and my dad's a Marine and a very tough bastard and, but also a really supportive guy. But my whole life growing up, it was like he would make me wake up at five o'clock in the morning, put on shorts and like go run in the freezing cold with him. And now I do that for fun. It's like fun for me. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, that's good. That like it really taught me something when I'd go through tough times in my life. My dad'd be like, just get outside, go for a run in the cold. You'll, you'll feel better afterwards. I feel like you did something, you know? Yeah. Most people will still be in bed by the time you're home. Like it's those kinds of things that I think really help to train you. That's why I've always been into the metaphorical implications of it. Like nobody cares if I can deadlift 500 pounds. But I care about the way that I've showed up for it consistently over 10 years working on it. Yeah. And, you know, and that's what tests your character. Yeah. yeah. What, what is that line in Snatched? How you train. How you train is how you live. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or uh, the, the famous Rollins article from Details. Yeah. Uh, strength is defined in character. Yeah. Or that's revealed it. in character. And, and, and so, so it's those moments. And I think right now, um, everyone's so hairline on that edge and everything is so black or white right that uh it's funny one of my online clients megan megatron striker her, her son saw the godzilla trailer and was confused as to he's like i think 12 maybe 11 uh, i think actually i'm aging him but it's confused in terms of like is godzilla a good guy or a bad guy and i said he's a force of nature in these movies he's towards the positive and that wasn't a sharp enough black or white answer for yeah. Yeah, yeah i'm like well that's a life lesson right there. there. You go, right? Not a, you know, like that's just how it's going to be. There, um, do you mind if I tell one more quick no, story? No, please do. So this this guy, by the way, I highly recommend reading the book um, You Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins, this uh, former Navy SEAL who really turned his life around. It's a really fascinating book. I had a terrible childhood. But he says this one thing um, in a podcast, maybe it was Joe Rogan's podcast, um, which I'm sure Fury's podcast is going to be as famous as Joe Rogan's. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, we'll see. Uh, 
see. Um, but he, he says this fascinating thing. He goes, you know, the interesting thing is it's 2000, and I think it was 2018 they recorded this. He said, we now have all these training schools where we train these superstars um, to prepare themselves for BUDS training, for Navy SEALs training, right? And he said, they are stronger than they've ever been. They are tougher than they've ever been. Um, they can run faster. They can run farther. They can do all these things. But the quitting rate is higher than it's ever been, and the tr and and the and the testing protocol is the same. So he goes, "What is it that we are now just training bigger, stronger, faster, tougher, more endurance quitters than we ever have? What is that about our society now that is doing that? We had people that we would drag off the street that weren't prepared at all that made great Navy SEALs because they wouldn't quit." So he's like, what is this society that we're bringing them up in? And I think that's a really fascinating way to look it up through. Yeah, I don't have an answer to that. Well, I don't I, either. I, I struggle with this with the kids now, too. My, my, my daughter's in middle school. My son's got uh, another year and a half in, in elementary school. And, you know, I see the changes, especially, I mean, in both of them, especially in my daughter. And, and you know, some of the struggles there. And, you know, she's got a good set of friends, and she does great. I mean, great in school. <laughs> um, better than I ever had. And... Uh, you know, I'm constantly trying to find this line of like, this is part of her personality. This is a big deal. This isn't a little big deal. How do I protect them without overprotecting them? And right. it's such a, a tricky thing because as, as the parent, and I hate to say it, our coaching side of like really yeah. trying to like protect people, like the do no harm thing, uh, I really struggle with where do I just make her not suffer but suffer through this yeah fail yeah and it, this might be something she hates doing like you know she's not loving her school this year um do we try to put her in a different school i know folks that's going to sound really like an easy don't do that thing but like it's different um yeah. when you're in the situation um you know it might that might actually be the greatest thing for her versus forcing her to be in this school that's got a specific type of program or it might be like the thing she hates but motivates her forward you know, like, I look back now, and, I, you know, the, the, the Fury nickname, like, I was an unhappy kid, but I found uh, peace through aggression in That's the right. mosh pits and the skateboard and, right. and all that stuff. And I, I don't know if I'd be who I am, and I like who I am, if I, if I didn't carry that anger. I think the only thing I, you know, you can never say you wish you changed. I, pr I probably would have benefited from learning how to release that way sooner. And it still kicks in, but I, I think... Uh, this idea of, you know, it's showing strength, showing up in character and being hypersensitive. I, I think you have to have a thick enough skin, a callous mind to allow yourself to live in a world and accept yeah. that it, you might like Britney Spears and more people might like, I don't know, Metallica. Right. This is such a lame, not no, drastic but thing. But it, it, it just be okay with that as opposed to being like, only Britney Spears people are cool. Right. Not that, That's such a fucking lame no, metaphor. No, it's but. true. It's like you're but it, cultivating empathy, right? You're, and you're... and it, I just don't know why everybody wants to be surrounded by like-minded individuals, I guess, is my biggest thing. I, I it's You want weird... to be around people that disagree, but you but they're agreeable. Like, do you ever go to, right? a, con you go to a concert at the Garden, and you're like, wow, we're surrounded by uh, all these Iron Maiden fans. And then within, like, five minutes, I'm like... Oof, a lot of Iron Maiden fans. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to be around all these people. The minute somebody starts going, woohoo, metal, I'm like, get me the fuck out of here. Right. But it's like, it goes back to, I mean, so much of our humanity is based in confirmation bias, and we want to be around people that show our values in order to survive. But I think ultimately going back to fitness and metaphor and, and what we train is like, how can we diversify our training and what we're 
exposing people to in order to give them a process to have more empathy right and so uh you know whether it's like you know brian's starting to run now he hasn't run for many years um partly he's doing that to diversify and to like make if anyone's read anti-fragile which is an amazing book which is all about this process of really what is anti-fragile versus fragility right and how can i can i strengthen my anti-fragile mind by saying one of the things i've learned is like everyone's everyone's point I need to listen to. I can't just discredit it because mm-hmm. there's so much in my own self. Jonathan Haidt gives this great metaphor. He calls it the elephant and the rider and that the elephant is massive and that's your that's your, like all your unconscious like feelings and behavior and biases and your rider is your mind and that like so many things that I get upset about or I believe in are, are often things that are out of my fucking control and that all I can do is like listen and then disagree when I need to disagree and not be scared to disagree. And I, it comes back to business. Like one of the things that Brian and I talk about a lot is like we, when we have disagreements, we have to say them right now. Right there. Yeah. Like and one of the things that and that's the hardest thing to do. It's literally the hardest thing to do is to have the conversation immediately. Uh, and that's what I'm I'm attempting to train is like, can I be sensitive enough to go? Oh, I'm creating this story, Brian. Hey, I'm creating this story. I'm upset about this. And it's a really, and we're two very, uh, this is going to sound douchey, but emotionally intelligent people who trust each other, and it's still hard to do that. I, I was going to say, too, I, you know, I've tried to apply that because you you guys are uh, on a higher level of emotional intelligence. Um, this isn't saying that somebody that isn't isn't intelligent. It's right, just an awareness. No, it's if you're not used to being spoken to and having those upfront confrontations, usually the other, the, the first reaction is to battle back as opposed to listen, process, and discuss. Because I know there's been times I've had, I've tried to have some conversations with Kim and I, you know, I'm like trying to come from, and she just wasn't in the early stages of the relationship used to that at all. And it comes across as like, um, it could come across as potentially condescending or like finger pointing, even though you're like, usually it's the first thing you say is like, look, you're probably not meaning to do this, but this is how I'm hearing it. Mm -hmm. It's weird for somebody to come to it, but like we, we can't get past these boundaries unless as a group we learn to communicate better. Yeah. Which is, you know, one of the talking points of, of, of wanting to speak with you guys here. It's not just about the community and your move, but it's also, you guys are doing a wonderful job of communicating with others. Like, uh, Michael brings this higher level life experience intelligence to things that I can't relate to. Sure. Like, you know what I mean? But you make it relatable in your way. Um, and it's such a gift to have that and, and to have access to somebody that, that brings that. Brian on the upfront has a way of so endearingly wanting to make friends with people that come in that and, and that, that like it's it's actually eye-opening to me to aspire to to that end of it of not be judgmental out the gate you need to have in New York you know anywhere you need to have some street smarts you know and be awareness but to not judge the negative before you look for the positive and I know that's something that I I've never had that like I've always looked at like the potential negative side, like how, you know, about somebody, the potential threat, the potential like, ah, that guy's going to be a jerk or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, that in communicating and, and handling these, the, addressing each other, clearly you guys, it's never easy, but you're able to do it. And it's something that I've tried to actively do. And I know that I actually slipped out of it 
my first year out of MFF where mm-hmm. I, I caught myself like I had created all these good habits and traits and just because I was uh, alone it sounds so sad no it's true um, but since I was isolated and I was traveling around a lot like and, and one of my clients in particular was a really negative person uh, I started really getting frustrated and you know like fortunately it's this point where you know the, the the negative side of that was I was getting ready to you know potentially stop training somebody um even though financially it would not have been a great thing um and fortunately it just worked out that they stopped training sort of coincidentally yeah but i think that's something that i, I wish people would get that i think starts in fitness might be their first access to it because i don't think there's enough managers and leaders in other jobs that do that i don't right. you know which is weird because if you wanted to have a successful business you would think you would have your management doing that as well, mm-hmm. you know? And I don't think enough businesses invest in that. I know the bigger ones do, mm-hmm. but that might even be just at a higher level of people than like the day-to-days that you or I might have if we were in an office job deal with. Yeah, I think, I mean, there's a, there's a famous business cliche that the famous book writers, I'm using all of this in air quotes, and when I say they, and um, I can quote the authors of these things, but what I do believe is true that they a lot of people write about is they say, it's so easy when you're an entrepreneur and you start to grow your business to get caught up working in your business that you forget to work on your business. Yeah. And what that means is, to me, I take the what you said to say, the working on the business is working in your personal communication, working on your people skills, working on how are you communicating. Because I believe that that's what's going to make you a successful business or not. Yes, yeah, sure. Like a, a product is one thing, but I know that there is something that I hold true, and it's certainly going to be true if somebody ever wants to hire me for anything. People are going to hire me and my business, and I'm talking in the first person right now, in the literal sense. I fully believe it's not because these specific things that I'm offering, no different than people taking my class at MFF, it's not because of the specific knowledge that I have, even though that's at least as good, I would say, as most of other people. It's because they want to be around me as a human. Yeah. It's who you are, not what you specifically can do. And I really think that that's what you're speaking to is a higher calling of who are you? And my ultimate hope and desire in life is that I can genuinely show up and I say, hey, when I'm here, I'm only talking about kettlebell swings because I too have gone through the SFG certification and it sucks and it's hard. And I'm telling you to put your kettlebell down in a certain way because I was there when when Mark Chang made us all do 100 extra swings every hour because people couldn't put their kettlebells down appropriately. Now, I might take not take that quite that hard approach, but it's a great lesson in doing the little things right. And I can speak to that with authority because I went through that. Right, so I think it's about showing up first. And when I hear genuineness, what I say is, I'm not gonna ask you to do something that I either haven't done or I'm not willing to do myself. Yeah. So I'm not gonna ask you to build a business in a certain way. I'm not gonna go, I'm not, ju- by the way, I'm a life coach, I'm a certified life coach, and I take great pride in that. And I understand fully kind of the negative connotation that comes with many life coaches. And people are like, oh, a, a freaking life coach. What does that mean? You failed at every other <laughs> business you did, so now you wanted to be a life coach. That makes sense. I agree with yeah. that. But what I'm going to say is, yeah, that makes sense that you feel that way. But no, the, the process I come th- through is I can tell you, uh, and I'm going to make this a point about what you said earlier, is so look at the three of our lives. And I love the story you told very um, uh, vulnerably about Fury, about how that came apart. And it made me think about your family and your kids and these struggles. And the hard reality to accept is the three biggest turning points in all of our lives in this room are really hard struggles that we went through and the worst parts of our lives. Yeah. Michael's mother, Michael's grandmother died, then his mother died, and then his girlfriend that he was about to propose to broke up with him. Fury 
dealt with all of these anger issues and helped create this persona. My girlfriend, my senior year in high school, uh, college, died in a car wreck on her birthday, a week to the day after my birthday. So all these things now, I don't wish those things upon anybody. But the hard reality of this world is, and by the way, I'm a very optimistic person. The hard reality to teach somebody is to say, you know this really hard thing that you're going through? That is going to be your calling card someday. So that when Michael Liddick gets up on stage and says, I lived in a refugee camp that I lived in, in with Somali refugees, that shaped my life. My mother dying and my girlfriend breaking up with me when I had an engagement ring in my pocket and all of my insecurities of anger helped create who I am. And my girlfriend dying when I tried to drink myself to death for two years and sat in my car and tried to drive it off the street and run it in a tree. And some voice in my said, head said, veer back into the lane. Those are the foundations of where I can look at somebody and go, no, damn it. It hasn't all been shits and giggles, and it's not all been about a silver spoon, and it's been a hard fucking process, and damn it, you can rebuild your life from step one, too. You know, and that's the hard reality is these bad things build us to who we can become. And then, to me, is you find a, a vehicle where you're forced to find your words and articulate what you believe in day in after day after day after day, whether it's a podcast, whether it's a book, whether it's teaching in front of a group of people. It's belief system. It's because I'm essentially going, this is what I believe, and this is how I'm showing up, and you're, those people are looking to you to be that, and then you can become it, right? And that's the thing I've learned in community. Like, even working with, I, I worked with refugees who were literally on the edge of life. They were starving. It was during a huge famine in the Horn of Africa, one of the worst in the Horn of Africa. And when I was able to look at them and say, you know what, you're really special. And here's because you are this, this, and this, suddenly they became alive. Like literally they would start shouting poetry at the top of their lungs. They would laugh and dance where before they could hardly speak. So to me, it's like when you talk about communication, it's like you're, you're literally looking to someone as their best self, right? Of like, of who they are at their core and seeing them and, and being like, just so um, rigorous with your, with how you see them. Like Brian always says this about me and I, and I believe it to my core about Brian is that I've always seen the best in Brian. And I, I believe in Brian sometimes, I he says more than he believes in himself. And that's the kind of person I need when I'm gonna go climb Mount Everest, right? And start a business. Um, or I'm gonna start a community. I'm gonna go off on my own. I'm gonna need my family for that. So, yeah, that's what I, 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 I think the interesting thing is, and the commonalities, right? So this goes into everything we've been talking about so far, is that, yeah, it's your failures, your, your darkest moments, your saddest moments are the most defining. That's right. And it, it's, the, the hard part I find, and, and I'm reading this book, uh, Unfuck Yourself by Gary John Bishop. Have you yeah, read that? No, but I know what it is. It, I want it, to read it. it. And he, he talks about that. And, and I put this through my head when I travel still because I still get, um, on certain big trips, I get real anxious right before I go. Um, and I know leaving to Asia last, at the end of last year because it was two weeks. It was actually, I didn't even realize when I was booking it, like the longest time I've ever been away from anywhere, home as a kid, whatever, was, was these two weeks teaching. And embracing and, and, and like acknowledging that these things are what define you to be here. And what's hard for a lot of us is everybody can tell you the down parts, right? But to embrace it and, and cherish the successes that came out of it, the good things that came out of it, 
I think a lot of us, and I know for myself, I, it's easy for me to wallow in the dark part oh, yeah. and not embrace that, like, you got out of this mm -hmm. and have done this, mm -hmm. right? And I know last year when business was, like, towards, before these workshops, business was super slow. I'm like, fuck, man, I just don't know if I even want to be in this anymore. Um, let me go travel and, and, and do this thing because, like, you know, I'm mouths to feed. You know, there's, mm -hmm. there's real lives. Like, again, we're talking about, like, following your heart, following your passion, but there's always real life things like rent and... You know, Lord knows I don't want to lose Kim and end up with wife number three. Kidding, Kim. Yeah. I'm never going to. You're the last one. Um, but just as a human, it's just like in your character traits, and, and like they take the compliment, right? It's, we're so, it's so easy for us to look at the bad things about ourselves and acknowledge those and the good things. Mm -hmm. And those defining moments, uh, the, the bad ones that really do shape us. You know, like I, you know, I have moments when I was going through my divorce and I was still new to uh training that i was like is this even gonna work that i i you know similar to you're driving the car that i don't know if i didn't have the kids i don't know if i would have not walked in front of a train a yeah. couple of moments of like this is like i don't know if this is worth it you know like yeah. um but i had the kids and they were the driver right and in going to my changes like every massive change i've tried to make in fitness whether it was financially viable or not was to try to have more time with them because i am at the age where they're going to start hanging out on their own mm -hmm. and not need to be around, right? And then I'm, we're also at the age where, like, you know, like, six years, seven years, they finish high school, like, Kim and I might move. And then they can stay with us if they want to or, you know, tra transition back and forth. But, like, that's going to be, like, grown-up time in a way. Um, it's just a shame that, like, I think what coaches and, and what you guys are going to be doing with entrepreneurs is, uh, to try to shine that light of like believe in yourself because you've already done it like you've already yeah. overcome right does that right. make sense 100 percent. like life always feels like this perpetual wall but if you rewind your you know the vhs tape of your life vhs mm -hmm. old i'm old yeah um, i didn't even grab that yeah yeah, yeah yeah put it in the rewinder when you're done with this podcast uh, uh be kind of rewind is if you've already come back from bigger failures that's right from bigger yeah. disappointments from bigger hurts you know, but we never remember that. We just remember the hurts. Mm. So when the it's, next time something's struggling, we're so focused on like the history of bad, we don't see the history of success. And that's something that was like really eye-opening for me. From the, you know how like those those good sort of motivational books, like they just have a clear way of saying what you couldn't process on your own. Yes. And that unfuck yourself book is, is very much like that. Like that makes total sense. Why didn't I put it in that way? But sorry, and I'll hop off of this tangent. But before I went to this trip in in Asia, I literally had to be like, "Fury, this is your fourth time going to Asia. Like, you can travel, you can teach. If something happens, you'll adapt. If you have to, t you know what I mean? It's like whatever it is. The food, having a random dump somewhere, getting sick, hurting. You know, you, you try to be careful and you manage the best you can, but you can't. You can't manage. Right. Like this life is like you know, you can go troll someone on Facebook and be real angry and how you're gonna unfriend people, and you could literally walk out the street. And die. Yep. Yeah. You know, like just drop dead. So it's if anything, maybe out of this podcast, um, people take a moment at the end of this show and think of a hard time and what you learned from it and how you grew out of it. Mm -hmm. Right. It, it doesn't mean it happened quickly, but uh, these are we're all really, I would say, great examples of that because you know you were already sober by the time I met you. Mm -hmm. um, I was with you through your mom passing. Um, and, you know, fuck, I still feel like I'm on this adventure. And I think we all are. Right? Absolutely. hundred percent. You know, it's, it's so universal. Um, the, the entrepreneurs that we coach, we were literally on a call with one of them two weeks ago. She's writing a book and, uh, Brian and I sat her down and we said, she's writing this book about this mindset. 
um, development. And we had to remind her how amazing she is. Oh my God. This is a grown woman lives in Australia who's a genius and massively successful, by the way. <laughs> and someone where we literally had to reflect back at her. I said, listen, I've never met anyone like you. Um, and for her to hear that, to take the compliment, right, in that moment, and because we were talking about all the struggles she's gone through. She's a cancer survivor. She's survived um, a psychopath. I mean, everything you could possibly ever think of, like, yeah. things I can't even fathom. This yeah, we're not is, talking microaggressions yeah. here. We are talking massive aggressions. Like, we're <laughs> like, you know, massive, massive, massive trauma. Um, and how she's come up uh, on the other side of that. And I, and I think about uh, what you're saying, Fury, is like, Again, the power of being in community to me is that I can, t I, you know, I've been travel, I've i been traveling for ten years by the time I came to MFF, and it was only then was I in a community where people were like, "You're really remarkable," and I was like, "I am." I didn't think that at all, and like I, I even like you, Fury, wearing your bloodsport shirt, like. <laughs> People like go, oh, that's what's really three dollars at the Goodwill, folks. Yeah. That's a great shirt. But that's what's so interesting and unique about you. That's what you bring to the table that I don't bring that to the table about who I am. And you're, uh, I'll never forget your story about Bald Fury. I'll never forget your story about you know how you left corporate America. Yeah. Like those type of things ultimately became who you are now. And now, as I can say, and I, Brian obviously has the, almost similar stories. I can say now that I'm on the other side of it and now I'm in, in quote unquote writing this amazing place and I'm at this amazing company, I'm all I'm already thinking, how can I continue to train my mindset not only to celebrate, um, but also to continually put myself in the uncomfortable. And and so it's now it's a balance. I know that there's gonna be more suffering to come. Um, it will, it's just inevitable, it's part of life, you know. The the Buddha says participate joyfully in the sorrows of the world. So now I can choose joy. Right. Yeah, that is very, very, very Jesus. <laughs> if you've never listened to Michael or been around him, all of a sudden you'll be talking and he speaks so eloquently, and then he'll be like, and I once drank wolf's blood with uh, in Mongolia with monks, which is a true story, by the way, in negative 20 degree temperatures. You're like, what? Here's the thing I, I thought I had while you were saying that, though, uh, is, you know, this idea of the microaggression. Do you think people's hyper-awareness and sensitivity to quote-unquote microaggressions is A, because it, it actually is something that needs to change, or is it because people are validating themselves by perpetually maintaining the disappointed moment? Um, you know, reading this book, Coddling of the American Mind, which if anyone hasn't read, I, I highly suggest. It, it's really social media that's being a huge part of this right now because and you were talking about fitness world. is like you're you're seeing all these other fitness people like producing content. So you go, I should be producing content when you feel like that's not where I align with my beliefs. And so you're constantly being able to compare yourself to other people that creates a, a little bit more of a fragile mindset. Um, there's actually a lot of things that are hap that happen socially, even particularly, you know, people aren't allowed to play outside anymore as much as they were. Mm -hmm. It goes to like how, um, there's uns there's more supervised play than unsupervised play. Uh, it, there's so many factors at stake to to why these microaggressions popped yeah. up around 2015. Um, obviously, because of uh, it's it's manifested on the greater scale of like the political landscape. But uh, I actually I, I wish I could be like I think it's because of this. I can see it. I work at NYU, so I I, 
I do have my own experience in this world with the I generation. So I can speak to that. But to people around us that are our age that are adapting this microaggression, I'm, I have more curiosity. I don't, I don't know the answer. So. I, I do feel, uh, you know, again, I, I mentioned, I've been, I've been addressing my own social media issues. Uh, I think there's some wonderful things. I wrote a blog actually went out yesterday. Um, folks, you can you can look it up at CoachFury.com. Um, it's called uh, "Less Social Media, More Training People." <laughs> it's from a fitness perspective, but but you know, I think the, the the thing I love about social media is like you know, uh, I'll use my friend Tony Rotondo as an example. I, I love this guy to death. We were really we were really close in high school, and you know, like life happens, we faded apart, and it's it's like really cool to see some of my old friends on Facebook and stay connected that way. Um, I love as a Godzilla and GI Joe collector. Like, the Facebook groups are where I buy most of my staff or I'm aware of and have had connections to like, hey, I'm going to Japan. Anybody have any suggestions? So I think there's that. And then there's the Private Fury group or the MFF Fitness group. And I just think if you're really thinking that that's like a, a, an active news site or a balanced news site, I, I think you have to sort of change your mindset on what's coming your way on that. Because, you know, you're only seeing your algorithm and the algorithm is, is, is having an impact on based on your responses on your posts, it's showing you like-minded items for the most part, where when suddenly somebody shows up in your feed that's a friend and it's a complete flip side, like that's like almost like an algorithm snafu, somewhere those lines cross. So of course you're not gonna have like a great conversation. But I think for people in our age, and I know I struggle with this, like, you know, in some ways high school never ends. Yeah. Like a lot of the emotional things that I struggle with probably relate to high school. On the flip side of that, like, you know, I think it's some of the shit that really bothered me in high school and it, it's, it's, it, or that I, at that time hurt me so much, like they don't, they're not even like bad memories anymore. It's just part of my life, right? Um, but I think we're perpetually trying to stay in touch and I think some of that, and, and it's not just social media, it's also like YouTube and the ability to binge watch and on demand, like our brain, we're struggling to rewire our brains to a new source of input that we are not like my kids watch stuff that seems crazy to me. Like my like kids will watch people on like my son will watch people opening toys, mm. like just opening like blind box toys. Like, so like a Lego minifigure in a sealed bag, you don't know who you're getting. He doesn't do it anymore, but he used to just love watching people open these things. I'm like, I can't think of anything more fucking boring than that. Or, um, they watch, you know, like people play video games instead of playing it. Mm. They'll spend as much time watching people playing it and then they'll try to apply. But, their brains, for better or worse, adapt to that. Now, the flip side of this is my son and my daughter can hop on a computer and handle electronics and handle an iPad in a way that, like, I didn't learn or have access to until my, like, late 20s. So there is going to be a benefit of this. Um, their access to information, both good and bad, is dramatically improved over what we ever had access to. And I think we're trying to struggle to almost meet in the middle where it's like this bashing of millennials in these safe spaces. I don't think it was actually like as great a problem as we predicted, like as we like to make it out to be. Um, I just think we're, I hate to say it, in the Make America Great Again frame of mind, we're looking at how awesome our youth was. And in some ways, I don't think my youth was that awesome. Um, and, and, and so I wonder where that's going in terms of social media use and this idea of microaggressions and these black and white battles because we're not talking like like we are that's what i love about the show yeah you know like uh not everyone agrees with me when we have conversations on the show and, and in a lot of ways those are the biggest learning moments for me absolutely yeah so then they, they talk about a lot of this and one of the things that brian and i are 
it's really hard running a business. Uh, how can we create that type of uh, atmosphere of everyone's welcome at the table, every idea is welcome at the table, and yet, and yet, because of the um, instant now culture, people uh, read an article about an, an opinion and they form it as their own without understanding the complex history. So a great example is this, uh, Brian and I came in talking this, this on Monday about this, uh, with uh, this uh, viral video that went out with this Native American elder and people just, um, in almost a tribal mentality, uh, got like really upset and started you know going on social media and trying to like basically like character assassinate this young boy. But they didn't understand the whole complex part of the story. Now is now and then more of the truth came out. So what's true? We have we never know. That's the thing. What is true is constantly um, thread through a story. And so for me. I tend to listen more and mm -hmm. I tend to like put myself in places where uh, one of the things we teach our entrepreneurs is uh, go read a blog or a belief system that that totally disagrees with who you are right like and and attempt to understand why right and I think more and more because of um, social media because of just how we are we're, we're less and less likely to be around people that don't hold our own belief right and so one of the things that we have to teach people and we're constantly uh, attempting ourselves is surround ourselves with people who give us microaggressions, you could say, mm -hmm. right? That like trigger us, right? To, to go, oh, I don't agree with that at all. And to sit in that uncomfortability and to listen to it. So it's the ability to have critical thinking, right? To go. really like process a thought. And, and to your point, I have seen this as a, uh, a potential negative on, on the, on the popularity of Mark and Michael and MFF is, I have literally had emails written back that I'm like, you're talking like Mark. And it wasn't from anybody in the staff, like, you know, where, yep. you know, you, you, you're imitating and not absorbing. Mm -hmm. And that happens with any fitness system, but certainly with anything. Like, you can read the book. You can't just suddenly change your life around the book. You have to sort of start to incorporate it and absorb it and process it and spend some time with it to see if it actually, A, works for you, if within this window, versus like, you know, it's like a diet. Like, how many people, like, you know, uh, keto was real big. I mean, it's still part of the, the mainstream now, but, like, keto is big. And everybody went keto. Everybody went this. Everybody goes this. Everybody goes that. And it's great until the next one. You know, it's like Dan John would say, you know, everything works for two weeks. That's yeah, right. yeah. Um, and, and, and allowing the process. And I think all the, a lot of these, like, motivational books, leadership books, it's a lot of that, like, check out how smart I can appear to you if I quote this book. Right. And I worry about that on the show sometimes. But uh, I'm also very fortunate that I... I can't retain quotes that well, so you know, I, I sort of like everything gets dummied down in my own head of what source element is, as opposed to specifics. Like all the MFF readings we done on communications yeah. and stuff, I couldn't tell you like the, uh, the anagrams and all yeah. that steps. I'm like, just like I'm just gonna talk nice and listen. Yeah, here, here's what I know about what you're speaking to about being genuine, and I totally agree with you with the kind of like, that's a weird word. Speaking about the fitness industry, and a lot of these people I love, I can promise you, I was quite physically in the room when the whole idea of Mark Fisher Fitness being associated with unicorns happened. I was there when it happened. It was before MFF even existed. And now I can name five gyms that talk about 
and I'm not even talking necessarily bad about them. It makes sense that they would want to do it. It's like impersonate the best. The ultimate form of flattery is that other people are trying to be like us. I get that. It makes sense. But there's some part of, I think, other people, or especially when you when you see it, you go, that's disingenuous. Because I was in the room, and I can tell you the ninja's name. First of all, I can tell you how the word ninja came about. I was in the room when somebody said the words like, Somebody that was being trained said, oh my God, yes, and now I'm going to jump on my rainbow, on my on my unicorn, and we're going to fly into the sky. I was literally there when it happened. This is, and, and then all of a sudden we started like making jokes about unicorns. Then we started making really graphic, kind of twisted jokes about unicorns. <laughs> and that's where it started. Didn't It wasn't a strategic planning meeting where we got around a boardroom table. And I hope people hear what I'm saying. I'm getting jacked up, inspired about this. It was not a bunch of people sitting around a table going what can we sell that's going to look really cool on our merchandise and that's really going to connect to people that have never been involved with fitness before? No, it happened genuinely while we were helping people and somebody like went off on this crazy tangent. We're like, that's hilarious. Then we started joking about it for six months. And next thing you know, it built from the inside, which is why I'm so excited for your company, Fury, because these things are going to build from the what actual genuineness is, which is human interaction. That's what's genuine. These stupid fucking jokes you make about movies and songs that I have no idea what you're joking about. But here's who is going to understand. The people that are attracted to you. Then you're going to have your own lexicon. That, that's super. I mean, you guys know the way uh, how overprotective and sensitive I am actually about the copycatters. <laughs> I'm always like, I've literally gone, I've literally oh, gone he, on he, he, You like are our advocate. Yeah, <laughs> I've literally it. gone on the it. forum and been like, Hey Mark, there's been talk about me going to uh, teach a course at a specific this facility or that facility, uh, but you know they're 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 doing the MFF copycat thing with blah blah blah. How do you feel about it? I don't feel good about it. <laughs> and he's yeah. just like, oh, they're wonderful people. Go. I'm like, okay. And then I'm still like, no. And I've written some emails and I've had some conversations. The trick with the copycatting is, and it's I hate to say it, it is literally copycatting. Yeah. Um, to a big degree, and you know when you come from it, um. From, from within it, you get I, I, I get protected, but it's also, you know, not just of us as the MFF and staff, you know, uh, but, but, but of the person that's doing it and that negative, like, yeah, you might be like getting a few more social media engagements, but ev everyone around your peers knows you're that's just right. copying. That's right. And I have a problem with that because that is sort of like, again, going back to high school. Like, it's one thing when you're in high school and you're trying to find yourself. Like, I can go through my Z Cavaricci phase. Yes. And my fucking short suede Bon Jovi jacket with tassels. But then eventually, like, you know, skateboarder dirtbag is how I've basically stopped evolving fashion-wise. And, you know, there's that. But the other thing with it is, with the copycatting is, is, you know, Mark and Michael become such the figureheads of it. But, you know, one of the things was something that Jesus Clown, so uh, Productions did, and Matt Wilson and Michael um, did, a, a, for like a number of months, some really creative, amazing videos where it went well beyond just being a fitness marketing piece. Mm -hmm. it, it, it became like, it was art, it was short films, it was experimental films, and when I saw one of those get Im imitated, I, I did reach out and got a very nice response. Yeah. But I get, I get really fired up and protective about it, and... You know, it's funny. It's like sometimes on this podcast, it's hard. I don't want to throw anybody under the bus. But somebody else did this other thing about, you know, it, it was in, 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 in sort of in praise to, to Mark in, in, in a workshop. But, but it was the, the fucking biggest look at me humble brag I've ever seen. And I struggle with it because guys like, look, I've, I've talked about this on the show. I sometimes feel like the ultimate 
contradictory douchebag because I'm talking about the negatives of social media and I have a podcast. Um, I have a lot of titles, you know, and sometimes just talking about that, that yeah. sounds like... Uh, well, it's, yeah, but, it's, but I'm also trying to embrace that. Like, okay, authentically, that is me, right? Mm-hmm. So at Fury Industries, if, you, if, you're going in, if you're in my neighborhood in Brooklyn and you want to swing a kettlebell and have intelligent programming involving ultimate sandbags and Indian clubs and original strength and blah, blah, blah. Like, I'm the dude. Like, let's right. just, I'm just going to say that. But right. within that, and this is where the authenticity, genuine stuff comes in, the thing I learned at Mark is what, what, what these guys were saying earlier is I don't expect everyone to like me or want to train with me. And I've grown really comfortable mm-hmm. with not letting that get me down and actually embracing that those that I'm not the fit, that we just agree as soon as I fast fail. As soon as we realize this isn't a fit, I'd actually rather you not waste uh, waste each other's time. Yeah. And let me focus on those. Like, I don't let people do a lot of drop-in classes, or really almost at all, unless they're a friend, mm-hmm. um, or a friend of a member, obviously. Um, and I don't do for online training, I, it's three-month minimum. Classes after that first drop is three-month minimum, because I don't want to waste my time on random. If you're not ready to commit that this is a fit, right? cool. Like, I'm going to be okay. Now, do I have bills to pay? Yeah, but I think that all wraps in. And I think in my own struggles to embrace that, when I see people copy, I get pissed. Now, mind you, if you come in and, and take a class, you're going to see it's run very similar to an MFF class. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I use a timer. Um, I don't use all the same same words for the exercises. Some of it, which was really, I had a great moment where... Um, some of my Fury Crew members actually started naming some of the exercises. Like, they're doing it! Yes. They're yeah, making yeah, yeah. their own unicorn reference. Yes. Like, you know, they didn't call it a unicorn thing, but they made something, a ninja push-up, a rocking push-up, you know, we put yeah. they called it a ninja push-up. I'm like, that's they're perfect. naming the movements it, themselves, and they used the word ninja unprompted. I was like, yes. That's so um, perfect. But, you know, like, it, it's, it's allowing that to happen organically, and I gotta be honest, it's also, you know, in terms of this pass-fail, it's also that ability to be like, I know, you know you're doing something that's important, and, and, and that it has the possibilities to work if you push, but it might not work if you just sit and, and wait for it to fail. Yeah, first of all, it's scary. One of the things Brian and I are, are really seeing, because we're, we literally, we're in the crucible of this, because Randy has like a 1,060,000 uh, 1, followers on LinkedIn. So when we post something on LinkedIn, we're posting to about 50,000 people are usually seeing these posts. And what we've learned is and I can tell you the metrics on this, the more we take a stand on something and choose to say something vulnerable, more people react. Mm-hmm. Like, bar none. So, like, when you were like, I don't want to throw anyone under the bus, suddenly in my myself, I was like, I leaned in a little bit. I was like, oh, fuck. Fear's going to tell some truth right now. Like, that's what I want to hear. Um, not that anything else before this wasn't, like, authentic or genuine, is that ultimately, I think what we all respond to as human beings is we go, oh, my, like, that's a little scary what you're doing. And I want to be around that person that is putting themselves in the scary position and standing in it. So like, you know, like whether it's what ultimately going back to this copycat stuff is that those people are playing it safe and that's okay. And, and you know what? And it works sometimes, but ultimately people can, as what Brian said, they can see through that. That's not genuine. And they can see that's not who you are. So, and, and, and it's it's something just long term. Even if it leads to success, like I'm just I'm not interested in that type type of success. Um, and again, I, I you know it's a weird one when you have a public forum. You don't want to name names and stuff. Yeah. Uh, I'm betting anybody that's listening to this is probably like, ah, shit. Maybe I should rethink this a little bit. Not me or you yeah. themselves. Yeah. Um, because because everyone sees it. That's the that's the thing. Like everyone sees it, folks. Like. 
I'm I'm not the one like policing for MFF. Somebody else posts it would be like, hey, check this out. Here's what I'd be like, holy shit. Sorry, I totally cut you off. No, go. I have one thing that I believe truly matters. You can make a billion dollars. You can make a million dollars. You can make $10,000 a year. I plan to have uh, done all of those things in my life at some point. I've done the $10,000 a year. I don't want to go back to that. I'd like to get to the 1 million and, you know, 10 million and 10 million at some point. But anyway, at the beginning and the end of the day, you are facing one person, and that is yourself in the mirror. And so, listen, I was in the room when 90% of those things at MFF were created, when those things were genuinely created, right? And sure, a lot of our business systems, we learn from the best people, so we implement it. There's a difference in implementing business systems and strategies versus taking the actual, co- I'm good, here we go, then taking the actual copy off our website and putting that copy on your website, yeah. which, which businesses have done. Um, that's different than saying, hey, start by asking questions, do this, do that. that that's different things, right? But what I know is no matter who you are, how successful financially you ever get in your life or how many clients you ever get, when you go home at night, you can look your damn self in the mirror and go, I answer to myself. And what I can say is that's why I can sit back and laugh and I go, every damn one of us can look at ourselves in the mirror and go, do I feel good about what I'm looking at now or do I not? And that's the judge. It's so true. There's this weird moment every time I go to a pl- on a plane. It's about to take off. This is sound morbid as fuck, but it's actually, I, I find it comforting where I'm like, okay, if this plane goes down, um, the kids are great. Yeah. Uh, they've exceeded, you know, like, well, they're going to be greater than I no matter what. And I think I made an impact, mm. right? Whatever small impact that is. And, and for me, you know, that's it, you know? And, and I think, you know, actually the, the biggest loss I feel would be for, for Kim. Like, yeah. it's just our time was short together. Um, but I have that moment and I think, like, I'm okay with that. That said, you know, like as I'm getting older and I'm not the new, I shouldn't, you know, sometimes I'm like, I shouldn't really be struggling this much financially within this field because it's been a while now. But I finally feel like, you know, the structure's there. Uh, I remember my first interview with MFF and you were in there, in the room. It was like, not weird at all having a piece. <laughs> Actually, I guess I had met Mark already because I taught a workshop. Yeah. And then I come in and it was you, Rick Raven at the time, mm-hmm. Keeler, Mark, and Kyle. Kyle yeah. And, you know, I was... Folks, when I came in, I was not an obvious fit. I actually give you guys all a lot of credit um, because I was like, I don't think they're going to hire me. Um, I just don't think I fit in. I'm, I'm, I'm not Broadway. Uh, I'm pretty brutish in a, in, a, in a comparable way, right? Yeah, yeah sure. Um, and, you know, the, the talks of costumes and stuff at the time were very much like, you could be the skater guy. I'm like, mm-hmm. well, I am a skater guy. Right. But like, huh. And, you know, yeah. and then when the shirts came in, we had, when we got staff shirts, I remember having that talk, like, uh, but like, I'm the metal guy. Like, I, I'm a metal head. Like, should I wear mainly? But they're like, that's not a costume because that's who you are. I'm like, that yeah. was a weird moment. Yeah. Um, but I remember like, they were like, where do, one of the Mark's questions, where do you see yourself in five years? And in the beginning, I was like, I see myself owning a gym. Mm-hmm. And then after my first six months at MFF, I'm like, I'll never run a gym better than this place. I just want to be a part of MFF forever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then I realized, obviously, that I wasn't going to be a part of MFF forever, and, but didn't expect to want to own a gym. Mm-hmm. And the cool thing is this full circle thing is now it's like, now I, I see this thing brewing, you mm-hmm. know, that couldn't have happened without MFF or my connection with you guys in these conversations. And, uh, you know, uh, folks, I, I didn't even give Brian credit for this. You know, I, I, Todd uh, Bumgarner gets, uh, you know, the majority of the credit for helping me launch this podcast. Uh, from a blog, but Brian can attest for like a year before this, I would ask him every now and then for tips on how to start because he, he would run Best Life Radio. Um, it's just like inspirational cats and that we all feed each other 
feed off of each of each other. <laughs> Literally, we all are doing like interlocking arms, feeding each other and feeding off, feeding off of each other. Um, I just think it's important. And I, I would hope that in the, in the spots that are potentially imitating and not, you know, and there's a difference between imitating and copying or abs and absorbing and making it your own. Because mm -hmm. let's face it, there's so little true originality in this world. Sure. Uh, and I don't mean that as a negative. I mean, that's just the, the way of the world. Um, I'm sure with all of, Michael, your travels, situations are very different, but human commonalities Huge. Are, are the same. And that's one of the coolest things that I've been able to do in, in my lesser degree of travel um, is just to sort of embrace and have an open mind on that. I'm, I'm losing my thread a little. But if, if you can make it your own and, and, and within your teams, because the other thing I guess we'll say in this copycatting is I think a lot of people think Mark and Michael specifically outlined all this stuff. No, no. And I think, you know, having been there and, and having an impact in a way in my time there, a, a lot of it evolved, or most of it evolved from the training sessions, from you guys, from the team, from, from Matt Wilson, yeah. you know, like um, from Wheels, and, and the whole crew evolved that sense of humor mm -hmm. um, and evolved some of the best videos and the characters and the ridiculousness. Um, let's, let's do this. Let's, let's switch gears because we, we've been talking for a while, and I think we're going to have to do a part two at some point in the near future. Yeah. Um, uh, name for one of your favorite ridiculous moments at your time at MFF, either that you were involved in or witnessed at oh, MFF. Geez. Oh, I, I'm just going to go with my first instinct. Uh, it, during a team meeting, I saw... No, don't tell me. <laughs> I saw uh, Brian lick Kyle's scrotum. <laughs> There's more context to this story. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> oh, that was a good one. Oh, I have no words. That was during a team meeting. That yeah. was a good one. I, uh, without going into it, I think, I'm not going to think, I'm going to speak directly. My favorite things was something that happened quite regularly, which is um, we do a certain ritual as new people come onto the team. And that, to me, is a very ridiculous thing. Uh, but some, it was to me, it never got old. It, it was mm. always felt... Um, so great to do that. Can, can I say that the, the my exit ceremony yeah. was so um, um I, I don't know if it registered, but fuck man that hit me like a ton yeah. of bricks. Yeah, we can't talk about this because there's so detail. many things I want to talk to you about right now because there's so many images in my mind about me this. Too. But it is, it is the essence of the ridiculous. But it comes from a the most genuine. Yeah, I can tell you it comes from a conversation of uh, Mark <laughs> brought me on the team and he was like anything that we could get better on our onboarding? And I was like, I just feel like, can there be some type of ritualized moment that makes you see differently? That goes, hey, you're not joining a team, you're joining a family, you're like, this is a calling. And we, we and I can promise you nobody else is doing that. They're not copycatting that because nobody knows about that. No, 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 and I yeah. hope we're not like letting the cat out. No, no, there's there's not, we're not talking about the events, the but, yeah. but we'll say that it's... It's um, a beautiful ritual. Yeah, it's... Both uh, of them. The it's perhaps... Oh, man, I, had, I, I, wish, I wish I could say that loud, but I won't because it will. it's too sacred. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, sacred. yeah, no, keep, sacred. We'll, we'll keep that under wraps. Um, man, it's really, it's funny. I asked the question. I'm having such a hard time pinning one thing... I would say I'm gonna I'm gonna cheat. There was a time when Matt, and it's a video. I think it's a Jesus Clown video where Matt put the disco lights on in the snatchery, and had the floating fish. Yeah, yeah. And he yeah. shot the fish, and it's just with the music and the lights and the fish. It's just this like yeah. beautiful moment of Matt. 
that of many beautiful moments of Matt. Um, and then if I can I say the I forget, I'm forgetting the ninja's name, but it involves your balls again. Is that okay? Oh god. So. I had heard, so my intro to MFF was hearing about, like, you know, nudity and the craziness and the language and all that from, like, a, a former ninja. And there was this one of the first sessions that um, Brian and I were together. I'm like, how am I going to handle nudity? Now, mind you, folks, my, my, my girlfriend, well, now my wife, but Kim at the time, she said the only rules I had about MFF, about training there, was no full nudity and, and don't take Molly without her. I've still yet to ever take Molly wow, in, wow. and I didn't get fully nude in, in front of anybody. Um, but we got pretty close. But but I turned around and Bri like Brian had asked the ninja, what can what what can I do to make your session better? And he said something about like you could teabag me and all of a sudden your balls were on his forehead. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Um, there was complete consent. Complete, uh, complete consent. Like I mean that's the other thing that and, and we've had conversations <laughs> as this whole, you know, environment started to shift. Uh, about that, like there's an there's a, a difference of using sexual humor in a silly way. Yes. Because we all, I mean, here's the thing too. Like there is that element of we we are all sexual beings. We all poop. We all pee. We all have silly things. You know, we've all done dumb things in the sack, um, or thought of even worse things uh, where it's out of play versus yeah. like true trying to hook up or sexual aggression yes, or anything yes, like yeah. that. There is a very big line in that. It goes into that whole comedy thing we talked about earlier. Um, and then one of the one of the ones that like uh, stuck out to me was obviously uh, we all went snatching in the snow. Yeah, that, one that was day. so fun. Mm. Um, and yeah. then with Liz Messina, I had started. So at MFF, there were I don't know if they're still there even anymore now, but there were dildos everywhere. Mm -hmm. And we started doing uh, the choose your finisher with a with the I, I created the, the dildo slingshot. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, where we would put out three. Air X mats mm -hmm. and hold the band, <laughs> and the ninja would be able to launch it. Yeah, and wherever it landed closest to, that was the finisher you chose. Um, I thought idea. it was legit science of an, and randomness of fitness. Uh, but Liz took a slow mo photo or had had me sh shoot a slow mo video of it floating in air, and I just remember like that was awesome. And Liz was such a character. Oh my god. Um, she was such a fucking smart coach, too. She was the one who intimidated me the most. I, I, I was kind of bummed when she left just on that. Because I felt like, not that she was challenging me, but like I felt like challenged to sort of live up to her mm -hmm. level of coaching. Um, miss you, Liz. Um, any other, uh, what, what's another one good one? Oh, oh, this is a great one. This is actually a Jesus Clown one. Uh, it, one thing, if people out there know about Brian, if you challenge him to do something uh -huh. and say that he can't do something, he will do it. <laughs> So, uh, me, Matt, and Ting, but it was the coldest day of the year that year. It was, oh, 11, it was 11 degrees, but there was a wind chill of that negative something. And so, we were going to meditate outside. In your unicorn. In our unicorn onesies. <clears throat> but uh, we challenged Brian that he couldn't do it in his Speedo while doing farmer's carries. And so, of course, Brian was like, oh, I'll do that. And so... It's this photo of Brian um, literally struggling. I was crying. My tears were freezing to my face because Brian was like, oh, fuck. Oh, shit. Oh, fuck. <laughs> and I just kept walking back and forth for 25 minutes and nothing but a blue speed. Barefoot. Barefoot. And it was my feet had turned purple. And they were in coats and these. Yeah. I, I, there's oh, a picture of yeah. it. Yeah. I, I, I it would was say, pain. It was pain. It, it was, was pain. absolute pain. I, I would say that that is one of the things that the, the power of mind, the strength of will of both of you. Um, <laughs> yeah. in, a, in a dead serious manner. But also it's funny. It's like uh, of, of people that can really like, I think, put their mind and apply it. 
Um, I've never really witnessed that before. Yeah. Um, where I'm sure there's doubt and anxiety, but just the ability to like push past it. Like when, you know, I mentioned we went outside and we were, Brian and I were doing a morning session. It was snowing. We went outside with a bunch of the ninjas in the, in, in the room and we did a bunch of swings and snatches. Now mind you, I was in like short shorts and a tank top. Brian's in his underwear barefoot in the snow. <laughs> you know, we were only out there for like five to 10 minutes or something. Yeah, I remember that photo. <laughs> Send me that. Send me that. Um, <laughs> And I remember you coming back and be like, my feet are fucked. <laughs> but in the moment, it didn't matter. And uh, I just think, you know. Those are the things you remember most, you know. You mentioned David Goggins and that type of stuff. That's kind of like that, that, just like my brain's going to allow me to do that. And That's you, it. more than almost anybody I know, if not at, at, at the pinnacle of it, actually have the ability to do that, which I've never witnessed. It was just a, a skill. And again, uh, with Liddick, the, the, the ability to uh, put yourself out there uh, and embrace discomfort and, and handle yourself uh, with, with way more grace than, than I could ever imagine. It, it's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, so, on funny notes, on lovable notes, let's start winding this down. Uh, guys, uh, tell the listeners where they can find out more uh, about the Zuckerberg Institute. Yeah, www.zuckerberginstitute.com. Uh, we have uh, various products we offer and programs we offer, coaching uh uh, mentorship programs we offer there. Uh, you can also follow us on Instagram uh, at, at Zuckerberg Institute. Uh, you can follow Brian and I at Michael Littig, L I T T I G, and at Ole Miss Murph, O L E M I S S M U R P H. Those are the ways you can find us. And um, yeah, I would say the biggest way is to get connected to our newsletter with Zuckerberg Institute. We, we send out weekly inspiration tips and the fact that at the end of the day, one of the things we believe in is, and I know all of us believe in, is you can feel it in this room, like we rise together. Uh, everyone has, there's abundance out there in the world. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you from the top down with being with Randy, with Brian, myself, and how we approach our community is that uh, we show up for that community and we uh, help that community genuinely and want to genuinely change their lives so that they can come away and say, you know what, I met Randy Zuckerberg, I met Michael Liddick, I met Brian Patrick Murphy, and my life changed. Um, and that's a daily calling and a daily practice, and uh, that's what we do. We, we're, that's, that's why we're different. Yeah, if you want to work with an entrepreneur coach or coaches that are in the muck with you, if you want to, if you're sick of seeing, you know, if something feels snake oily, I can promise you, if you want to come and experience what it's like to be around us, I will never ask somebody to do something that I will not do first or alongside them myself. So if I'm saying, hey, this is a good idea for an entrepreneur to do to help build a successful business, you can put your damn life on the line that says I'm doing it with you. That's my commitment to anybody. And, and that's what I say is, you know, go work with whoever you want. But if you want to work along with somebody like that, then we would love to, you know, meet you. Folks, check out their stuff. Uh, gentlemen, at the end of every episode... Uh, the guests get to tell the listeners to die mighty. Can you please oh, tell them to favorite. die mighty? Die, die mighty! <laughs> awesome. Uh, man, what a fun hangout. Uh, we we will have to do this oh again. Oh, my God. Of course. And you guys are actually close to Catalyst where I train right now. Um, hey, listeners, uh, listen to this one twice. Um, it, I, I think that there's a lot of uh, important shit that uh, directly... Um, goes past fitness advice, but actually like legit conversations that have helped us all grow. 
So, uh, love you. Thanks for listening. Until the next one. We're taking a selfie. Awesome. <laughs> Later, everybody. Hey, you just got to listen to a selfie. How'd that sound? <laughs> Bye. The Coach Fury Podcast is created, owned, and produced by Steve Coach Fury Holliner for Fury Industries, LLC. Music provided by the FTW. Visit the FTW.nyc for band, tour, music, and merch info. Artwork created by Glenn Gurrieta. Visit glengurrieta.com. That's G-L-E-N-N-U-R-I-E-T-A. Or follow him on Instagram at Glenn Gurrieta. Voice over by Laura Palmer.